AC Life, here again for round two. My name is Zoe Elizabeth Schwerd. I'm a high school senior at City, which is kind of an intense school, so takes up most of my time. Um, I occasionally play the violin, and I always show up to City's zero-hour orchestra. It starts at 7 a.m., so I have to wake up at the butt crack of dawn. <laughs> Am I allowed to say butt crack? <laughs> <laughs> you guys wouldn't believe the, the rules we have talking in front of the congregation. Just kidding, there's only one, it's not say butt crack. <laughs> I'm totally fired. <clears throat> so my claim to fame around here is I'm the daughter of Dan and Megan DeWeird. My mom's over there, Megan. Um, some of y'all might not know me because I usually go to the first service. Uh, I've been attending City Life for six or seven years now. I'm part of the youth group. So I recently visited another church with some friends. And I was, uh, it was an interesting experience. But I was, I was very thankful for this church because of the amazing community we have here. So thanks to Pastor Christy and Pastor Phil for leading us in that. This week we're calling them Coach Christy and Coach Phil because they're coaching us new generation of leaders through this interesting uh, service today. So whoop whoop. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right, so I'm actually here to talk not about butt cracks, but about um, my story and, and Moses' story. So I'm gonna jump right in with a little a timeline of what Moses went through before we talk about the story um, of him today. So we're in Egypt, and there's, um, the Israelites are enslaved. And uh, Pharaoh is worried about the population of the Israelites. So he says, okay, so the newborn males are all going to get killed off. And hopefully we can keep the, the population of the Israelites down so I don't get dethroned or whatever. So Moses enters the scene. He's a newborn male. And his mother is there saying, way too cute, he's way too cute, way too cute to kill. So I'm gonna hide him, so she, so she hid Moses for like two months, and I don't know if you guys know babies, but they grow kind of quick, and I don't think she could keep him in, 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 in her cupboard for too much longer, so she had to pop a, him in a basket, a little basket, and then put the basket in the river. Got a little picture there. Um, so Moses is in the basket, he's in the river, the mom is like, let's just see how this goes. Hopefully he doesn't get eaten by crocodiles. Um, and then Pharaoh's daughter, it's the river in Egypt. They love this river. And she went to take her, her afternoon dip and um, finds this baby in a basket. Who leaves their baby in a basket? Moses' mom. <clears throat> so she finds the baby way too cute. She's like, this kid, I'm going to adopt him. I love him so much already. And she adopts him raises him up in, his, in her household. He, Moses is raised like a little, a little prince there. He's um, growing up, becomes an adult, and he's walking around town one day and sees an Egyptian beating up an Israelite. And he's like, that's not right. So he goes and beats up the Egyptian, which we kind of know, like, that's not the way we do it, especially since the Egyptian died. So someone told Pharaoh, I don't know who told Pharaoh, but someone told Pharaoh, Pharaoh's mad and Moses is scared. So he runs away, gets married, makes a new life somewhere else. And that's where we find him today. So 
I'm going to read from Exodus 3, and we'll talk about this soon. Okay. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it didn't burn up. So Moses thought, I'll go over there and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called him, to him from the, within the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Makes sense, I guess. So, Moses is going through his daily life, and God reveals himself in a burning bush. Two little things I'm going to note here. God's plan plays out in everyday life. I'm just a kid, and I'm standing here right now talking to you guys. Moses has a past. A lot of us have pasts, but God still wants to talk to him. So, second thing, God wants your attention. He is willing to go to great lengths, like figuring out how to come to, come to light in a, in a bush that's full of fire but not burning up. That's pretty crazy to me. God isn't always as obvious as burning a bush without actually burning it. Sometimes his, um, his attention-seeking behavior isn't as obvious. So think about for a while what, what the thing that God is trying to bring your attention to is. So I'm going to keep reading verse 7. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have, I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out, up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has, has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be a sign to you that it, that it is I who sent, have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. So, God sees the misery of his people, and Moses is given a call to action. God is aware of what's going on to the Israelites, just like he's aware of what's going on to us. He knows your struggles, and he cares about the struggles. Second point, God has a task for you. He drew, he drew Moses' attention to the burning bush, and then he had something to say. Moses asked, who am I to do your work? And I think that's a question we all kind of ask God sometimes. Who are we to do your work? It's kind of an escape, really. Who, who are we? We're beloved children of God. And what's our job? To obey God. So, God has something to say to you. I'm going to finish this little passage. Verse 13 goes on. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to, say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I call God said to Moses, I am who I am. 
This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The the Lord, the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. I am who I am, God says. God is I am, and all will know who I am is. God's saying, trust me. They're going to know. Don't worry. So we're going to take a little pause again. And this might feel a little whiplashy, but I'm going to tell some stories about myself now. So some of you might have heard this story before. I've told it for my baptism video a couple years ago. It happened the summer before eighth grade, where I was concerned about friends. We all got our schedules, and we all compared our schedules with each other, like what classes do we have, what classes are you, are you with people, and I was noticing I don't have classes with my friends, <laughs> so I was worried. And I brought this to church two days before school started, and we have this tradition, y'all might be aware, where we come up, open up the altar and people come and pray. Sometimes we'll lay, lay your hands, hands on your back and pray with you. So I was just getting into the habit of doing this, two or three weeks in or something, and it was still very uncomfortable for me because it's just like getting out of your, your, um, your comfort zone, I guess. So um, I'm at the, at the stage praying about friendships, and I want, I'm like, God, I need a friendship. I need a new friend. You, you know what's going on. It's, my, it's, my, um, it's only been one year since I've been at the school, and I need to establish some, some groups, you know? So I feel a hand on my back, and somebody's praying with me, completely normal, um, totally not unusual. And I stand up. It's a girl I've never seen before. Again, not really unusual. And we hug and go back to our seats. And after the service, my mom, queen that she is, had introduced herself to this family. She says, Zoe, come over here. There's this family you have to meet. And I'm thinking, hooray, another group of people to meet because my mom is social. And so I stand up, walk over there, and my mom's like, hey, this girl, she's your same age. You might have stuff in common. You better make her feel welcome. So I was like, hey, you just prayed with me. Thanks so much for that. I'm like, that was so nice. Turns out she went, she's going to City, and I'm like, okay, this is interesting. Well, what's your first hour? She goes, um, Mr. Thane's biology class. And I say, ain't no way, because that's my first hour. <laughs> and so we sit next to each other in the first hour and become best of friends, like, immediately. Eight, eighth grade is the year of my COVID, so that was, like, we got shut down halfway through, went online, like, didn't see anyone, but Eliason and I, we called all the time, best of friends. <clears throat> so I'm going to fast forward to this school year. I have lots of friends. Don't you worry about me. <laughs> <laughs> Eliza and I are still very close, and I was just over at her house the other night, twice. <clears throat> uh, and I have another friend. This, his name is Drew, um, who I frequently have pretty philosophical debates with. And um, he said to me late in November, let's talk about God sometime because I want to I hear your thoughts. And I, 
I knew his background. He was Catholic, but completely disenchanted with the church, not so sure about the God thing, and I was worried. So I was like, yeah, let's, it's my duty, you know. Let's, let's talk about this God thing sometime, but not right now. Um, so I'm, I'm aware of his background. I'm worried that he's going to try and change my beliefs. Like, he's a debater. Like, he's, he wants evidence to support claims, and he wants, he wants to know your view. And I was stressed. But I said, okay, we'll do it sometime. So I'm going to jump around to another story. It's early in the morning, before school, 7 o'clock. I'm pulling up to City High Middle School for a zero-hour orchestra. And I'm listening to my music, which is a bunch of praise and worship songs that I compiled over the years. Um, I'm listening to this, Oh, Come to the Altar. I think, oh, what a great song. I like to let my songs finish, so before I turn off my car, I just let the song fade out. Turn off my car, song's done, but I still hear the song going on. And I'm like, this is not in my head, guys. So I look over, oh, the car next to me is listening to the same song. I don't go to a Christian school by any means. It's very much um, <laughs> not Christian. So I'm like, oh, this is crazy. Like, a Christian? No way. So I get out of my car and be like, hey, we were just listening to the same song. Isn't that crazy? And it's a girl I, know, I don't know. She's not my same grade. She's not my same orchestra class. And she, should we walk, walk, walk into the school, go about our, our daily lives, and... The next day, I get a little tap on my shoulder after zero hour. I turn around, and there's this girl. She says, hey, my name is Kaya, the same girl who's listening to the same song. I think the Lord has placed your name on my heart, and I'd like to hear your testimony. So let's meet up for coffee sometime, talk about that. I was like, yes, let's do it. This is so cool. I can totally talk about God with someone who believes the same things. So a, a week later, pretty quick after the fact, we meet up for coffee, talk about our testimonies, have a great time. The conversation is flowing. There's no lulls. And it comes to the time where, what can I pray for you about, you know, of course. And I say, well, there's this one thing, and there's also, I have this conversation that is coming up soon. And I'm worried about it, because it's with someone who does not think the same as me. And I don't know if I said this at the, sa this at the same time, or if it was just things I was thinking around that time. I just don't know how to convince an intellectual debater of the existence of God without an encounter with him. I was thinking, who am I? Who am I to convince some guy that God's real? I'm not a Bible scholar. Do I need to buff up on my Bible evidence? So I was worried. Two days later, unprompted by me, maybe by the Lord, but... I get a text from Drew requesting again to have a conversation about God. So all along, it's on the top of my mind, on the top of my prayers, but I didn't say anything. I'm, again, mildly enthusiastic, but definitely positive. And two or three, three weeks later, having had few opportunities that I took at all, I slipped into winter break. And the, the day after Christmas, I get a piece of mail, this piece of mail, and I open it up. I love mail. I've been getting a lot of college mail lately. That's my stage of life right now. I open it up, 
And there's a handwritten letter, full page, small font, in pencil. This is a copy. And I read it, and it's from Drew. And I was, I was like, this is crazy, but awesome, so fun. And it's uh, an address about the discussion we've been meeting to have, of course. So I read it, and he describes two moments. One moment where he feels a little nudge. I'm going to call it a nudge. He didn't describe it as a nudge, though. A little, a little moment where a thought popped into his head unprompted, like a conviction, kind of. I'm not going to talk about what it was exactly, but he was feeling the need to address some part of his behavior and express that to me. And then the second was definitely a burning bush moment. He, called, he described it as the first time he felt shook. And for all non-Gen Zers, shook is an, a word meaning unsettled. So <clears throat> he's feeling unsettled, shook, when he's working through some seriously hard stuff with a loved one, and he heard a voice, crystal clear, of a friend of the loved one who he didn't really know at all. And they weren't in the, in the room, but it was the voice use, uh, encouraging him with words saying, continue working through this hard thing. <coughs> so he said in the letter, things got better from there, and that was the moment he said he believed in God. Yeah. So there are a few points in the letter where he was like, I don't know why I'm telling you this. It feels weird to say, um, but it feels right. Like something's right about this. He said at one point, it brings up the question of justifying my belief. What did I say about intellectual, yeah? I don't think I can. I don't think I can ever convince someone God is real. No one could, could convince me besides God. For me, that letter was an answer to prayer. It opened the doors to the discussion, which I was hesitant to have. And through the same words I was worried about, right back at me. When he said, no one could convince me except for God, I was worried about being able to convince him. And that's exactly what God did. So, it was so clear to me that God was aware of my inner turmoil about this conversation. And so, he did a little nudge to my friend, Drew, to break the ice. He didn't even know why he was sharing, but it felt right. And that was the nudge. So, I'm going to wrap up my little stories. Clearly, through all of them, God is nudging people around me. He's nudging me, giving us all little tasks. Someone after last service said, it felt like a web. And, and we can all see in our lives, there's been moments where there's a little web of nudges that lead to the next. And you can see, it makes up a great story. <coughs> so, God clearly cared about my struggles. He knew about my struggles. And he worked through them. So, God uses everyday people people with pasts, people who are young, people who are old, to work out his daily, his, his plan in daily life. So, yeah, God got our attention. He got Moses' attention with the burning bush. He got Eliza's attention to pray with me up here at the stage. He got Kai's attention 
when both of our shuffled playlists played the same song at the same time. And he got Drew's attention when he heard a voice sharing words of encouragement. I have to say, God doesn't always try to get your attention with voices or burning bushes or seeming coincidences. Sometimes it's just a nudge or a thought that comes unprompted. When you're tuned into the Spirit, the nudges become way clearer. And how you do that is through prayer, through reading your Bible, staying in community. This is a great place to be in community with people. And, and the nudges become so clear. It's your job to listen. God knows what's happening in our lives. He knew what was happening in mine. All throughout my life, you can see when, when I was praying for a friend, he already knew. <laughs> when I was praying about this conversation, he already, he already had a plan. He cares about your struggles, just like he cared about the Israelites in, in their slavery. God has a task for you. That's the daunting part. Like Moses, you may ask, who am I to do your work? Who am I to give it in so-and-so? Who am I to do such-and-such? I say, pay attention to the nudges. Listen to your prompt and just give it a shot. See where it leads. It's worth it, right? At the end of the letter, Drew said, to me, God is love, an unyielding love that heals and helps. The Bible confirms that in 1 John. And to me, that shows at the end of my passage in Exodus how I am who I am, and, and everyone will know who I am is. Even unbelievers will, become, will come to know the identity of God. So, real soon, I'm going to invite you guys to come up to the altar again, second time today. And I would encourage you, even though it feels uncomfortable, to grab a partner, grab someone. You feel less uncomfortable if, if you're with someone, so definitely do it. Pray at the altar about what's your burning bush or whatever's on your heart. And yeah, so I'm going to pray real quick. Father, thank you for this opportunity to share what was on my heart. I ask that you continue to move in this room like you already are for that you get the attention of your people and help them to know your plan because we know your plan is good. We know you have a mighty work and we want your will. Thank you, Father, for all that you are doing and all that you have done and all that you will do. Amen. So come on up, bring a partner, pray with people. We know it will make an impact. <laughs>